Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our fourth season, we're looking at Kenneth Branagh's 2011 film, Thor. I'm Matthew Fox from TheEthicalPanda.com. And I'm Andy Nelson from The Next Real Film Podcast. And today we're talking about Minute 48, which begins with Darcy mourning the loss of her iPad. Oops, sorry, that's me showing my technical uh, bias. Her iPod. A uh, thing that uh, some of our younger viewers may have never heard of, but used to be a very important device. And it ends with Sif and the Warriors 3 coming to see Odin, but finding a surprise. Joining us on the show today, we have Matt Carroll, one of the two co-hosts of the MCU cast, which recently won a People's Choice Podcast Award for TV and film, and who is also the founder of the Stranded Panda Podcast Network. Uh, Matt, we've heard about you with Marvel. Where's Thor kind of fit in your, like, you know, personal pantheon of, of the, the MCU characters? Hmm, that's a great question. I I like Thor a lot, but his movies are some of the weaker ones for me. And I think it goes all the way through. So it's like I really like Thor as a character, but less I'm less lo- I'm less in love with his movies. And it's funny because my podcast partner, that's his favorite, absolutely. Yeah. So we have we often have those uh discussions about <laughs> Or like fights, discussions, whatever you want to call it, about about who's who's better or whatever, what movies are better. Yeah, he's referring by the way to Jeff Randall, who our listeners may remember. He was on our primer episode about the comics, uh, and saying so he may also be coming back at some point. Well, we're going to hear a lot more from you and from uh, Andy and myself right after this. We love delivering content to our listeners that's free of ads that you just don't want to hear. We also love producing this show for you, but it does take time and cost money. Can you help us out by becoming a member for the season? Membership is just $5 a month, or you can get a discount if you join at the annual rate. Learn more at truestory.fm slash Marvel Movie Minute. So now we are uh, back on that roof location we started talking about. And one thing I found is that that's also not in the script, which, again, kind of makes me wonder, was this a, you know, well, it's in the script for Iron Man 2 and maybe the person writing it didn't know that. And so they kind of put it in. It is a really fun location. And also it's one of those things where it's like I can also see just on on a whim Brana saying, you know, we need something different. It's it's boring to have them sitting in here. There's so much is empty. It's just not that interesting with just a bunch of furniture. Hey, what if we put them on the roof? Like I can totally see something like that happening, but I also like the idea that they, they wanted to mirror the Iron Man two moment. And here again, we get Darcy talking about, as I said, her iPod, uh, which is a, um, I, I actually never owned one, but you know, they were super popular, kind of the precursors of the smartphones and all that. Um, oh, they were great. <laughs> yeah. Uh, pocket, pocket ways to carry all your music around with you. She's very sad. She had just downloaded a bunch of songs. And Matt, you, you know, on your podcast, you guys went so deep into WandaVision. I know the Darcy, her character in that was someone you were so interested in. Is it interesting to you to see like kind of this version of Darcy, who's not really a scientist yet? She doesn't care about the research. She cares about her her iPod being lost. Oh, for sure, yeah. And 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 the, with the iPod thing, it makes me laugh because even her her comment about just downloaded like thirty songs on there is like 
we don't even download songs anymore. That's not how we pay for music <laughs> anymore. So like for for at the time, someone listening to that today would be like, what do you mean? On Spotify? Like you yeah. just hit the download <laughs> button? I don't understand. But back then, that's $30 she just spent or like $32 if she used whatever, <laughs> if they were premium tracks. Um, you know, that, that was, that was <laughs> money back then. Um, and now it's, it's, it's very strange. The world has changed so much. And yeah. The character of Darcy's changed a lot, but she still has that sort of snarkiness and focus, even in WandaVision, uh, her sort of focus on the sort of meta narrative of what's going on is very enjoyable uh, when when put up against, uh, you know, what the, the dire stakes that they're all facing. You know, she's still focused. She's really involved with the WandaVision of it all. So it really matches her character. It's interesting to see she becomes so much more competent, but she still keeps that sort of like lack of care for the big thing and or like over-focus on the small thing, maybe is how I should put it. It's interesting to me because they – they clearly develop this this wholly unique character really well to the point where you know she came back as you were just saying in in WandaVision like that's that is really interesting to me that they did that with Darcy from from this moment all the way up through that but when you look at what they did with the Warriors 3 I can't help but feel like they could have done so much more with them as characters in the film totally and agree. perhaps it's just because they had already been characters and they were just stuck with trying to figure out, well, how much do we keep them like that they were in the comics versus evolving them into something else? And, I, and maybe that's why they just never feel like they work that well. I See, I always liked them and thought they worked well. But the thing that the biggest thing, you know, I guess, spoiler alert for Ragnarok. I don't know how people listen to this <laughs> podcast. Everyone's listening to this. Everyone's watching the series a minute by minute with you guys, right? Like nobody's going ahead. But no, they've only watched up to this minute. That's right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, spo like, spoil away. Go ahead. <laughs> I know. I'm just sorry. That was me being like, I don't want to spoil a movie. Yeah. Anyway. Um, the the thing about that I really hate about Thor Ragnarok and I, I, is that the the they die, and so does Odin, and like I don't feel either one of those moments. And I, I often talk about the fact that like James Gunn can make Guardians of the Galaxy, and it is a funny movie, but. I I don't I I feel the heartfelt moments with uh Taika Waititi that movie is hilarious I enjoy, I could watch Ragnarok every day it's so funny but like I don't feel those moments that you should feel these characters die that like have been with Thor for thousands of years fighting by his side and like I don't feel that they, they throw them away and it really is like they just didn't know what to do with them. That's that's the big problem. I have I have kind of a big problem with each of the Thor movies that kind of keep them from being in the top tier of my mo movies, even though I like the characters. Well, you should have seen like, I mean, the Warriors three were far more uh, just awful characters in the script. Like as they were scripted, oh. they were really the buffoon kind of like the kid characters that you had in the comics. You know, Volstagg was like, you know, knocking knocking Jotuns down with his big belly. And it was just it was super, super uh just silly. And it would have been, you know, great for the five year old crowd, but you know, it it just it didn't work at all. And I think Brana smartly cut that back. But in the process, I think that as the films continue, we just get less and less of them being anything important at all, because I, I just don't think people knew how to figure out how to evolve these characters. Right. Well, and I wonder if part of that is, you know, we've talked about this a bit, uh, from time to time, but we all know we all have so many thoughts about the MCU now that was not true when this was being made, you know, and today. 
like in the MCU uh, Facebook group, the uh, Stranded Panda Facebook group, we talk about the MCU all the time on Facebook, but also in a lot of other fan places, you know, the, the phrase I see almost all the time is, in Feige we trust. And, and by now, the MCU has really earned this idea of whether you've never read the comics or you're a hardcore comics fan, trust that Feige and the rest of them will honor the comics you love. That was not the case by this point. And I think there was, I, I wonder if part of this was that, you know, because there were a lot of comic book fans who weren't yet fully on board with the MCU or were always like, oh, are they going to, you know, respectfully treat the stuff that I've loved and read for 30 years, that there's sort of sense of the Warriors 3, well, we have to include them, you know, because they, they don't, especially the way they're written, it feels like they don't fit the tone of a lot of things and Branagh didn't really know what to do with them. And I think you're right, he could have used them in very different ways. But they, they feel can be kind of like tacked on, like that there's sort of a sense of like, we can't have the fans will go crazy if we don't have them in here, but we don't really know what to do with them. And that may be part of why, as you're saying, Matt, like they never really have the emotional connection that they could have. Yeah. Well, and I, I feel, I feel emotionally connected to them to some degree just because Thor does. And so like, you don't have to have characters that you can really buy into even as long as the character of Thor believably loves those characters. You know what I mean? And like, I think they had that with the Warriors three. Um, I, it's interesting. You mentioned the, the script. I did not know that they were written a little more broadly. That's interesting because it seems like they kind of tried to tried to age them up a little bit and adapt them for this movie. And I think they did an okay job, but there are a few, uh, uh, sort of silly a little bit of silliness to them still yeah and it is it is one of those things where they work the best in this film because they're they're in this film the most we spend more time with them on Jotun. they come here to midgard soon and so there's just there's more time that we have to kind of uh, you know see them see them in action and and so there's there is more meat but yeah by the time we get to dark world I mean, we barely touch the characters other than Hogan, who we spend more time with. Is Hogan the guy who looks like the Dread Pilot Roberts? <laughs> yeah, he, no, he's he's the one who's uh, played by Tadanobu Asanu. Okay, um, gotcha. Yeah. I, I was I had him like written in my notes as like Gimli and Dread Pirate Roberts or Wesley from the <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know their names. That's a that's how bad. Like as a guy who has been doing a podcast for seven years, I don't know their names still, um, and that's so sad to me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's Volstagg is the one that you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, it, he should have been, um, they all should have been much better characters. Well, and we're going to get a lot of them at the very end of this minute. And of course, in the last couple of minutes as we wrap up the week. But jumping back just to where we were. Um, so now Eric starts talking about what we were kind of alluding to earlier this week, that he does know about S.H.I.E.L.D. And he he mentions two people without name dropping them. And he first says, you know, I knew a scientist of gamma radi- radiation who, you know, was contacted by S.H.I.E.L.D. and then no one now knows anything about him. And then he mentions someone else who he wants to email. Let's first talk about that first one. Who do we think that is? Or the, the person who might have disappeared uh, after S.H.I.E.L.D. was in contact with them? Pretty sure it's the leader, mm-hmm. uh, which I'm not remembering his na- na- comics name. Samuel Stearns. That's right. Uh, it was Mr. Blue in the Hulk movie. I'm pretty sure it's the leader because that's the – I, I think the first – people's minds first go to Banner, but like the fact that he was contacted and then just disappeared seems like a different thing than – the Hulk who like fought in Harlem and everything. I don't know how public it was that Banner becomes the Hulk or whatever. Well, and uh, th- what's interesting is these three films, uh, like The Incredible Hulk, uh, Iron Man 2, and Thor, 
are all happening at this exact moment. And actually, that's right. Harlem hasn't happened yet. In fact, oh, at, at okay. this particular point in time, Bruce has just come back to the States and is actually at Culver University and is about to Hulk out for the first time uh, in a very long time. Or actually not that long since since he was down in, in Brazil. So on his on his way up. So has the leader. So the leader, I mean, he's doing research. Obviously, that's one of the reasons Bruce came back up here. But according to the MCU wiki, uh, which this was all interesting. I just kind of did the dug into this uh, earlier today because I was curious about this. So Bruce, he started his experiments to recreate the super soldier serum using gamma radiation instead of the Vita radiation. Uh, that was 2005 when that started. Before that, though, he actually, just going all the way back in Bruce's history, he uh, he and Betty graduated from um, Harvard around 1991-ish. And then if they went to grad school, I don't know. But then they went to Culver. And that's where they met Eric Selvig and actually uh, worked with Eric Selvig um, with uh, – okay. uh, so Bruce was doing nuclear physics, physics, biochemistry, and was a member of the bioscience department. He met astrophysicist uh, Eric Selvig at this particular point in time and potentially Jane's father, which is kind of uh, an interesting little element that she mm. didn't know about uh, about Banner – um, but, uh, yeah, he was, uh, you know, all of this stuff was happening. So they've known each other since like potentially like as early as the mid early to mid nineties. Oh, then that's that I'm wrong for sure. Again, Marvel, they, they kind of go back and recreate all of these things as they retcon things and, and put all this stuff together. Oh, so sure, I'm just yeah. reading it straight off of their website. Uh, but I find it really interesting that they've kind of pieced this, uh, together. And I, you know, I, don't, I shouldn't say their website. It's the Marvel Cinematic Universe wiki website. I don't know how, right. how official that is, but, uh, yeah. Because, man, I came to the same conclusion you did, and another website, the Marvel Film Guide, which does kind of like annotated versions of every movie, it does, it says that it's that it's Doctor that it's uh, the leader Smith, not Banner. So right, but if this is happening at the same time, which it is, I've I'd forgotten that, and that means it can't be uh, Stearns. It has yeah, to be. I think at you're least right. if we're, to to make to make the whole canon work, it has to be. But I mean, you could see how someone would be writing this scene and be thinking of the leader. But yeah, it has to be Banner. Um, if it's anyone, you know what I mean? Like it could be, it could have been Banner's friend who was working on Gamma or something like that. You know what I mean? Could have been someone else. It's kind of like in a in. Doctor Strange, they talk about someone who like was damaged in a flight suit and everyone's like, oh, it was Rhodey or it was the guy from Iron Man 2 who was in the hammer suit or it was in like they all want to. But it could have just been anyone in an experimental suit. But we all like try to make those connections. Yeah. But I think you're I think it's probably Banner then. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. it's interesting. Well, and with the other one, again, something cut from the script doesn't mean it has to be canon. But when Eric says I'll contact someone in the script, it's Dr. Pimp. Uh, which I think would also have made sense that oh. like that there's another fun connection because, yeah, we know that Dr. Pym has had connections with S.H.I.E.L.D., you know, going way back um, to the 80s. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, it makes sense. It has that, a real like hatred for them. We know now. Yeah. Right, um, right. Right. Which is it's kind of neat to think about, like Selvig contacting his friend who's been sort of like antagonistic to S.H.I.E.L.D. And uh, yeah, right. That's cool. Yeah, because that would certainly explain more of why Eric is so afraid of them. You know, if he had him whispering in his ear about what they're like. Yeah, exactly. Sure. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's really neat. Like, part of me wishes that they had kept that in. But I guess, I, I guess you know, since Ant-Man is almost a decade away at the time we're making this. And, like, just they had no, no idea if they'd yeah. use it. Or even, I, I wonder if they even had the rights. 
Um, cause I know there's been such a thing about sure. all the, mar- like, I don't think there was any Ant-Man visual property before this. Was there? Don't, be- not, not in a, not in live action. Yeah. I and, don't believe. And I don't think Ant-Man ever was, um, you know, it was, is generally universal or, or, um, Fox that Fox. had, had particular rights issues. And I don't think Ant-Man was ever tied up in any of those. So yeah. Fans, if you are that. diehard, uh, fans of these, uh, spider-man cartoon or anything like that that uh dr pym was ever mentioned in or something like that that would give someone the rights let us know um but yeah it's just fun to see again them how much they're planting the seeds of connecting all these things yeah and i think they do things like that where they'll write it in the script and then go okay so yeah like we want to say the thing about the scientists and we could retcon it that it's pym but like since we don't know for sure what we're going to do with pym like and it's possible you know years later when they find out it's going to be scott lang was going to be the Ant-Man they were going to use. We found out that. We don't know for sure if they'd made that decision at this point. So like they may have been deciding whether maybe Hank Pym's still a young guy, you know, like maybe he's not older and like maybe Selvig wouldn't have known him. And, you know, they haven't, they haven't solidified the canon to that point yet. So they're like, they're still kind of like, they, they include these lines. They're like, this could be someone or it could be, you just made an assumption and we're, we're, we can do whatever we want. <laughs> Keeps their creative freedom. Yeah, it speaks to why they felt more comfortable talking about somebody involving gamma radiation because that movie had already come out. Whereas exactly. this particular property, they're like, well, we're still figuring out. Yeah, they're they're navigating the waters still. They weren't really sure how they wanted to deal with that. So because they didn't want, I mean, it's funny because you know they already had to deal with that when it came to showing the uh, the gauntlet down in in Odin's vault because you know. Later, they had to say, well, we've got to deal with that somehow. Let's have Hela call it out as mm-hmm. a fake. And so it's, you know, it's fun when they do that. But obviously, that was a, an element of them saying, well, let's figure out how we can retcon this. Yeah, we, we just had someone write in on, on on the Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast where they're like, how does this whole, why is there a, why is there a thing in Thor 1? And why is the gauntlet in Thor 1? And we had to explain that all again because, you know, we talk about it. We, these 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 conversations happen over and over again, but we were still talking about like it still doesn't make a lot of sense that there was a fake gauntlet for a <laughs> thing that didn't exist yet. Like the Infinity Gauntlet didn't exist, but there was a knockoff, and I guess you have to believe it. Maybe like it was a theorized weapon of to, that could be able to hold all the stones, and like people had thought of it but never actually created it, and then Etri in Infinity War creates it. That's funny. We never, we didn't really, I mean, we talked about the fact that it's there. We didn't go into the fact that why do they have a fake if they didn't even know they were going to need it, especially in Odin's vault, which is a place where they store things that are potentially dangerous and could lead to Ragnarok. Like, why would he just store a, a, you know, a fake of it? <laughs> you know, Odin doesn't do anything to create a look uh, that he is more glorious than he actually is, right? <laughs> never. He would never Nothing do that. at all. Nothing, Nothing at all. Odin no, yeah. is very upfront. And he does, <laughs> there's no secrets behind Odin. He's like all on front street. Can't imagine where Loki got the ideas he does of what his father would like later. I see, I make that joke, but that makes a lot more sense. Like, Hela was literally going around hating the things that Odin had put forth that were false. Like, she destroys that ceiling to yeah, show the right, right. the work. And oh, yeah. then, so when she pushes over that gauntlet, she's like, 
I, I don't like how fake this place is. And she, cause she doesn't just say it's a fake. She pushes it over. Right. Which is, it kind of fits her theme weirdly, which is nice. I, I mean, it's one thing we talked about before, um, in the scene when Odin is telling, you know, young Thor and young Loki, this very sanitized, you know, look how wonderful we are version of history. And of course, now having seen Ragnarok, we know all about Hela. It's just, it, you know, I have no idea if they, they knew that going into making this movie but it just it, it adds so much more depth to it and certainly we're gonna we're gonna later get to you know odin and loki again uh you know many many minutes down the road and loki thinking his father wants him to to conquer the jotuns and just it, ragnarok changed it so much uh pulling back to this minute though i, I we're gonna get to asgard and the warriors three and all that in just a second but i just need to call out one more great darcy moment that i think it, it's perfect that it bookends the scene is we start with her only caring about the the ipod that was stolen that doesn't seem to matter at all but again then at the end her knowledge of the mundane matters because Eric is like, well, I'll just, I'll email my contact. I'll figure this out. And Darcy's the one to point out they took your laptop. How are you going to send an email? Can I, can I throw, before we move on to the, the last moment here Go for the, it. in the other scene, one, te- y'all talked about technical things. One of my favorite technical things they do in film is a really good focus pull. I absolutely love the focus pull in this when Eric has, he's made it clear to the audience, at least that he knows something about shield. She like, it's just dejected and Jane puts her head down and says, who are these people? And then it focus pulls to Selvig with his very concerned face. And I just, it's a really, really good focus pull. Yeah, that's a, that is a great moment, which highlights, you know, the information that he has. And just speaking uh, of technical stuff also, you know, we've, we've called out the fantastic Dutch angle shots that Brana uses all over the place throughout this film. But uh, my favorite moment in this particular scene is right after that uh, line you just called out, uh, Matthew, when she's like, they took your laptop. And and Eric kind of has a look on his face and Jane turns to him. And then we cut to this fantastic uh, uh, Dutch angle shot. And then this is a much farther way. Like we're, we're probably on the ground looking up at them. And it just makes him feel that much more dejected. Like it just, it's like, it just pulls us away from him and he just feels so depressed and sad right there. Just total like little gray cloud moment. Well, cause I, to me, it's the sad dejected, but it also just makes them all feel so small, you know, yeah, that like yeah. right. there's this huge governmental thing happening. And I think it's very intentional because that, that's a great lead into the next shot, which is then we're cutting back to, we'll be in um, the, the throne room in a second, but we start with just this like, kind of going down the path to see the palace and then moving up because again i think it just shows like how huge and you know we started out seeing all these very welcoming like everyone's on the street having fun shots of asgard now i think this shot especially just you get a sense of like if i was walking around the street and that tower was over me all the time that that's a it's a pretty imposing like the 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 majesty and power compared to you as just a little citizen of Asgard. Valaskjalf just looms everywhere you go in mm-hmm. Asgard. And uh, yeah, it's a great shot, like zipping along the Rainbow Bridge then to look up at this massive golden palace that, I mean, it, what what is great about it and what's great about just like the Asgardian sky is the fact that it it goes from sky to stars so quickly. And so when you look up at Valaskjalf all the way up to the top, top tower that i mean we we barely see right at the last uh frames of this particular shot of it it's so tall that it's just surrounded by stars and that just makes it seem even that much bigger 
it's just it's impressive. And so, of course, then we get the scene of them in the palace. Uh, they're coming into the throne room and they're all walking in with their eyes downcast and their hands over their chest, like already in that salute pose. And it made me wonder if either of you know, is that something in the comics? Like, is that how people always approach the throne room in the comics? I don't know if I've seen them uh, do that or call that out specifically in the comics. It doesn't mean it hasn't happened. There are an awful lot of mm-hmm. them. <laughs> but it does strike me as just something that they opted to do because it felt like if you're, I mean, yeah, if you're greeting the queen, I mean, it, you know, especially Brana coming from, in fact, he might be Sir Kenneth Brana. I think he is, um, you know, somebody who has been knighted, has met the queen. The whole idea that you know, have a very specific way that you need to approach the royalty. And so that it struck me as just one of those sorts of very British queen sorts of things. Totally see that. I also think that like the fact that they're sort of running while bowing sort of is interesting because they're in such a rush. And I also think that Odin, unlike Loki here, I think Odin is a little less – uh, less maybe stood on ceremony, a little more sure of himself. I feel like the people that are the least sure of themselves require the most pageantry. Mm, you know what I mean? Yeah. And Loki's still very much like needing everything. And I feel like they kind of run in to talk to Odin and you'd think there'd be a little more ceremony, honestly. And they kind of run in and like, they sort of half bow as they ru- are, are running. And then, uh, the, the, so I was, I was wondering how these movie minutes would shake out. And like the moment when it pans over, to a shadow of Loki yeah. was such a great endpoint. So if, yeah, if you're yeah. watching along with these minutes, like it's so much fun because the minute cuts off before you actually see Loki, it cuts off just you see the shadow of Loki. Really nice. So great. <laughs> such a great shadow. Mm-hmm. And it's it's iconic with those horns too. I mean, it's just yeah, so great. It's the horns, and it's he's hold. He's clearly holding a staff, which we're definitely going to be talking about tomorrow. And also, just you see, just this very brief, but like the the shadow kind of settles back, you know. Because again, I think it's the sort of like he knows people are coming, and he needs to be sitting in the throne and in this regal position. So, absolutely. Before we before we wrap up, I just I was really struggling with the way that they approach like they come up so fast i'm like are they climbing up stairs on the backside of the stairs because it seems that's what they're doing and so i went back actually and looked at some earlier minutes when we first see this particular room at at, uh, thor's coronation just trying to piece it together and what i think i finally pieced together it took it took me a while to come to this it's you know we have this this funky little kind of teardrop shaped throne room in the middle of this massive massive um, like chamber where, you know, thousands and thousands of Asgardians can come to things like a coronation. But it's separated in this kind of tiny uh, shell here that has these stairs at the back end with a, a landing at the top of them. And that's where we first see Thor when when he first appears in in the film. On the back side of it, it looks like there are stairs that actually go down into probably an antechamber below the landing where all the people are. And so it's actually kind of like they are actually coming upstairs from a lower level up to this throne room. Because at first I'm like, well, they would have seen Loki like when they first enter the far side of this room as they're walking, they would see, well, why is Loki down there on the throne? It's because they can't see him until they kind of crest that stairs and get to the landing. Yeah, it's a nice, fun little design. It's it's very creative. It's 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 a very like I can imagine the production designer really kind of stewing on this a little bit, trying to come up with an interesting kind of way for this thing to work here. Thus, it's so interesting to think about like like when they're thinking about how to design this, they're thinking about the scenes they need, you know. So like they design that throne room partially because they need 
them to be surprised when they crest the hill. You know what I mean? Yeah, and yeah. then you then you go forward to make more movies and you're like, I guess that's what the throne room looks like because we needed that guy to be surprised that time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> Exactly. Well, if there's one thing that we'll be able to talk about as we continue with the Thor movies is this throne room looks different every single time. Oh, it does. <laughs> nice. Yes. At least at least the throne itself does. Like the, that whole thing changes depending on the production. So and, and I think just in closing, I just want to call out we get some great reactions from all of them that that I think again kind of tell us where each of the characters are. You know, Sif notices first and just stops dead in her tracks. Fandral does this kind of great double take, which is, you know, he he's he's been the one who's just like kind of taking it all in volstag finally notices and just stops and stares and hogan never even looks up you know he's just like <laughs> eyes down the whole time right he feels like he's following the rules right you're not supposed to look up until the king greets you or something right um well i think that's a good place to wrap up uh either of you have any other last things you want to jump in with great minute can't wait to talk about the rest of the scene uh, Matt, we've talked about you as a podcaster. We've talked about you as on video with Twitch and stuff like that. But I just got a CD in the mail called Earl Grey Hot from a man named Mr. Matthew Carroll because you do a lot of music as well, as you talked about earlier. Talk about uh, the music stuff you're doing. I do. I do. Yeah, that's my main gig is I write. I, well, I, I play music all over and I write and record my own music. And uh, I, I did an album under the name Matthew Carroll that you can find. It's called Left to Burn. But what might be more interesting to the the kind of geeky crowd is I started a band called The Garage and it is all sort of like songs based on episodes and movies of like geeky things. So I'm a, I've got two, a double album. The thing you're talking about is a double album based on Star Trek episodes. It's called Earl Grey Hot and Save Each Other. They're both online now and um, you can find them on Spotify or whatever. And the, the one, the song that would probably be the most applicable to this crowd is i've got a song called welcome to the world i won't spoil it there's a little bit of a uh like a, like a twist i guess but just look up welcome to the world by the garage it's it's marvel marvel related uh but i've got a couple some star wars stuff and some uh star trek star wars um cosplay a co- song about cosplay kind of it's a ode to my podcast partner jeff randall actually um called steampunk douchebag uh so is i uh, maybe is it an ode or a or a, a roasting i don't know one of, those, <laughs> one of those things yeah and I, I i love your music because i i've heard a lot of filk you know which is what you hear often at conventions where people are taking a, an established song rewriting the lyrics and but they're mostly just having fun like movie making the lyrics to be about the hobbit or star trek and it's a lot of bad puns and i love bad puns but you do some really interesting work like you have a song that's all from data's perspective about being a droid and it's like i think you're offering some interesting analysis of the character and doing it in musical form so it's definitely worth checking out where where can people find that that music like i said uh look up the garage on spotify apple google or strandedpanda.com has it all too uh but uh the garage on where wherever you find music, uh, it's there and save each other. Like I said, welcome to the world is probably the song that's most related to Marvel fans. And uh, save each other and Earl Grey Hot are both albums I put out this year. I'm actually working on right now. I'm really excited about this, but it, it's taken too long. I wanted to put it out at the same time that Black Widow movie came out. But I, I'm working on a Black Widow album where each of the songs is a different appearance of Black Widow. And I kind of break down her character and her journey through that movie and sort of like give 
a different song for each of the her appearances. Um, but it's it's written, but it's not finished recording yet. Well, it's awesome. Yeah, definitely check that out. Of course, check out all the other great things happening on the next real podcast. Matt, Andy, thank you all so much. Fans, thank you for being a part of this, and have a great day. Until next time, true believers. Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is One Last Ride by Martin Puringer. Find the show at truestory.fm. And if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, consider doing that for this show. Music